Hallelujah. Between a rock and a hard place. The message this morning, between a rock and a hard place. I have a question for you. Have you ever felt like you were in a never-ending season of heartache, pain, and futility? Have you, have you been in a season that just, like, man, okay, it wasn't just a bad day or a week. Man, this is, this is a string of months where things have just been, maybe even a string of years where you just feel like things are not the way they're supposed to be. Maybe you felt far from God and you didn't understand him, felt like he didn't care about you. Like all your enemies were winning against you and it forced you to build walls and, and go into hiding and, 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 and to protect yourself. Doing life in the dark to keep your enemies from overtaking and destroying you. I admit to you this morning I have been there. A place where I knew that I had made some mistakes, but it just seemed like everything was crashing down, pressing against me. And those around me, some of who were supposed to be family and love me the most, deceived or hurt me. And as time goes by, I realize that the years begin to compound and that season never seems to end. If you've lived a little bit, you probably can relate to that time, right? Or I might just be the only one. I remember, and I'm going to be transparent and honest with you here, and I, I, like, I, I know I'm called. I don't let anyone take that away from me. God has called me. He's marked my life. I'm a, I, I'm a walking testament to his restoration and his healing and his grace and mercy over my life. So I have no problem telling you as a pastor now that when I was 19 years old, I was married for the first time. And that marriage fell apart after six years. And I can tell you that in my mid-20s, I reached a place where everything crashed down in on me. And it was a season there of about 10 to 12 years that I walked through that I can tell you that was one of the darkest moments, darkest seasons in my life. Where, where everything that I believed in seemed to not be true. Everything that I had put faith in and believed God for seemed to come crashing down. And, and I remember thinking, uh, Lord, I gave everything to you and look what happened. I gave my life to you. I, I trusted in some things and it didn't work out that way. And it seems like everything has fallen apart. And those years or that, those months turned into years and then as the those years began to to accumulate there were some things that marked my life and one of them was that I was the the hurt and the pain that I had been through caused me to get bitter and I'll even say angry with God times where I didn't I was frustrated because it's like okay God I don't understand why these things happened and and, and I don't understand uh, this, this and so I'm just I'm just going to chalk it up to, I'm going to live my life. You are who you are. I believe in you. I just don't understand you sometimes. And I don't understand why I have to live in this perpetual state of loss. See, it gave me an excuse because when those things happened and my marriage fell apart, 
it gave me an excuse to live a destructive and sinful and ungodly lifestyle. And we justify that. And I think if we went around the room and we talked about your story, there's going to be a place where things have happened to you. And, and, and for whatever reason, you felt like, man, this just, I don't care anymore. I'm just, I, I, I don't need to hold it all together like I thought I did. And, and God, you're just going to have to, in your grace, let me be. And, and I'm going to choose to walk uh, the way that I want to walk because I've been through enough pain. I gave you a chance and it all fell apart. And then years go by. And, and I, I, I realize that I'm living in this destructive lifestyle. And those choices have cost me years on my life. Turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. We're going to read. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible or your tablet or your phone. Judges chapter 6, starting with verse 6. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies, and I gave you their land. Continuing on with verse 10. Judges chapter 6, verse 10. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites, in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah. Oprah's that old, guys. Just kidding. Bad joke. Bad joke. Which belonged to the to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, "Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Let me set the scene for you on what we just read. Many of you maybe know the story of Gideon. Maybe you learned about Gideon in, in uh, Sunday school as a kid. See, Gideon was working for his father, Joash. Israel had been under massive and, and, and severe oppression, okay, by the Midianites for, uh, for seven years. Everything they did, their food, their agriculture, their livestock, all their resources were destroyed, stolen, and just eaten up and taken by the Midianites. It says that they would come, the Midianites would come down and, and like literally pillage all the resources from the children of Israel. And, and it said that they were so much in number, they were like locusts. They would show up in just massive numbers and just take everything and leave a barren, dry messed up, nothing left land. And it had been this way for seven years, and we see Gideon in this place where, see, before, well, let me just back up. So before that time, before the seven years, there had been about 40 years of peace. The Israelites had lived in peace for about 40 years where they, they literally thrived and, and, and they weren't oppressed and, and everything was good for about 40 years. And then 
The Midianites decided, well, we're going to come take your stuff, and they did. And so for seven years, it just kept getting worse and worse to the point where the children of Israel literally were driven up into the hills, into caves, and they lived like hermits just to, to stay out of view and to stay out of uh, um, the, the reach of the Midianites. And, and so there, there was this famine. There was, there was uh, you know, everything, their, their livestock would be taken and so for seven years, they were living like this. And during this time, see, that God would, God would raise up judges. Obviously, that's why the book is called Judges. And we, we've talked about that a little bit over the weeks. But so Israel was, was ruled by these judges that God would raise up. And it literally would look like he would raise this judge up and, and deliver Israel for a moment. And then that person wasn't necessarily a king. Maybe they they were a prophet, or they moved in, or maybe they were. Remember, we learned about Samuel, or uh, yeah, we learned the life of Samuel a few weeks ago, and Eli was that he was the priest, he was the high priest of Israel, uh, but he was also the judge at that time. He was the judge, and and he 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 moved in that role, and so God would raise up these men of God and 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 uh, and actually women. That's where Deborah, the story of Deborah, comes out of Judges, and God raised her up to be a judge. And, a, and she would rule, right, for a, a time over, the, over this 12 tribes of Israel, this clan of people, these, or these 12 tribes that made up these clans of, of the nation of Israel. And so it was during this time that we read about this story. And, and so God had, he, he, if you go back and you read Judges, you read like, it, 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 it just repeats itself. It's like Groundhog Day, the movie, over and over again. It just, it just, it just repeats itself. God raises someone up and, and delivers the children of Israel, and then they just go right back to what they were doing after a time, and, and, then, and they're oppressed, and, and they're made slaves, and, and God raises up another deliver, uh, uh, deliverer, and he delivers them. And, and, and so they, they, live in a, they live in that moment for, for a moment, and then they go right back to doing the same things over them that got them to be oppressed in, in the first place. And so <clears throat> uh, this is, we, this time of Gideon is happening during this time of Judges. Like it, th- th- they have lived a life of, of, of seeing God deliver them and now they're oppressed again. And it seems like it's happening over and over again and now it's been seven years that they've lived like this. The angel, so, so Gideon was the lowest of lows, like it says that his dad was from the clan of a Beezer. Okay, now if that just sounds like he was the Oaky Redneck clan, right? Like he, like I, I just think about it, like he, just the name, right? What clan are you part? Oh, I'm, I'm the Abe. You're the Abeezers? Oh wow, the Abe, oh, the Abeezer clan. Okay, stay away from me, right? Like it just even the name sounds like. You're the lowest of the lows. Like you don't have, thank you, Tony. Bless you, Pastor Tony. So are you kidding me with this name, Abizer? So he's from this clan of Abizer, his dad. And he's working. And the angel of the Lord, and let me just tell you this. I, I can give you the theology behind it later. But I believe the way the scripture is written in this passage, when it says the angel of the Lord, I believe it's Jesus in pre-incarnate. The way it's written, what he says, I don't believe it was just a, a, a regular angel. Um, some of the things that he says, and, and I, I can back it up, what I think is scripturally later if you want. You can uh, take me out to lunch and I'll uh, give you a, 
what I believe, amen. No, but I believe that in this, so look at it from that context that when it's talking about this angel of the Lord, put Jesus in the place of this. An angel of the Lord, uh, he says, uh, listen to the first words that he says. He says, mighty hero. And in other translations, he says, mighty warrior, valiant warrior. He shows up on the scene after a prophet speaks a prophetic word to the children of Israel, right? And the angel of the Lord appears, and he chooses Gideon of the Abizers clan, right? And he says, Gideon, and he addresses him as mighty warrior, valiant warrior. Gideon was the exact opposite of that. In fact, from the things that I learned about Gideon in Sunday school, I feel robbed because, like, as I read and understand the kind of man he was, I'm like, I really don't want to be like Gideon. Even though he went on to have some success, like, this guy's not something that I would say, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's something, a role model that, that I want to, to be like. He's someone that I want to pattern my life after. He's, I, he's, he's nowhere near that when you really understand what kind of a person he is. Right. And where he comes from, he kind of his attitude. And so whatever your preconceived notions or, or like I said, from Sunday school or just over the years hearing the story of Gideon, like I, I just see him from a different perspective. And Lord, help me if it's wrong. But I, I, I just like I don't even like the I, I don't like him. I don't like I don't like him. I don't think I would be friends with this guy. I, I, I'd have a hard time just. But here's Jesus shows up and he says, mighty warrior, the angel of the Lord, mighty, valiant warrior. Why is that? Why does he do this? It's going to be on the screen. God will always speak to your identity. He'll always speak to your identity. Guys, you hear him preach this before. When Jesus was born and came to earth as a man, and he walked this earth the first time that he met Peter in Scripture, in the Gospel of John, it's recorded that he sees Peter and the first thing that he does is he addresses his identity. He addresses his identity. He changes his name. He changes his name. And I believe that that's what he was doing with getting. He, he always will speak to your identity. And he said, mighty warrior. Now, let me just paint the picture for you what's really happening in this scene. See, God wants you to see how he sees you in the hopes that you will desire and choose to stay in relationship with him. Yes. Even after the immediate deliverance or miracle. Yes. Like he speaks to your identity because he wants you to see how he sees you. But it's not so you can just feel good because he wants you to walk in that identity and stay in relationship with him. Right. It's not just so you can feel good. For the moment that God can build you up in that moment. No, he he's saying, look, this is how I see you. I want relationship with you so you can see yourself like this all the time. So you don't just walk in a miracle here, but that you walk in supernatural miracle every day with me. Right. So the angel of the Lord, what I'm going to call Jesus, found this brother in a hole in a rock. Now you can say, well, no. Pastor, he says, it says a wine press. Let me tell you what a wine press looked like. They would take, and, they, and remember, they're hiding up in the hills. So in these cliffs, in these hills, these big rocks, they, they literally would 
they would chip out a hole in the middle of this rock. Flat rock, and they'd chip a hole, and they would chip it deep. They'd literally dig a hole in the rock. And then below that, they would, they would drill out or, or uh, uh, crack it so that it would drip down into either a bucket or, or uh, some, some kind of vessel, or they would, they would make sure the way they built it would be the rocks up here, they dig a hole, and then there would be another rock below that, and they dig another hole. And so literally the wine press was like you would just, you would, they would throw all the grapes in the hole, and then they would get in there and they would just smash them around with their feet, right? And the juice from the grapes would dribble down and out the hole and the crack into the other, and so you would, you would separate the juice from the rest of the grapes, right, and, and all the mess that's created. Except he wasn't smashing grapes. In this story, he's threshing wheat. Now, if you understand what that requires, you understand that this brother, you would think, what in the, he's crazy. But remember the oppression that they've lived under for seven years. When you thresh wheat, let me just tell you what happens. You have to smash the stalks down. You have to smash the grain heads down, right? And you literally, there's several ways to do that. But one of the most rudimentary ways is you do it yourself, similar to smashing grapes. But you, you smash the pods down, and then there's this shaft that's created, and, you, and literally like this, just the mess that's created by that. And through that, like you separate the grain, the pods of grain, from the rest of the stuff that you don't need, right? But the best way to do that is to be high, a place high on a rock, or a place that's hard surface that's out in the open. But remember, they can't be out in the open because the Midianites will see and come take and pillage and take everything, right? So here's this brother. He's in a hole in a rock. He's got the wheat down there, and he's trampling the wheat, and he's trying to separate the grains, pods, grains from the rest of the mess, right? But he's missing one key element, See, the reason why you do it up high on a hard surface is because you, as you thresh it and you, uh, what's it called, winnowing? Yes. You fluff it up and the wind blows and it separates, it helps you separate the good stuff from the trash. Right? And so here's his brother. He doesn't, if you're in a hole in a rock, how many know that it's a little bit hard for the wind to blow? He's down here smashing this stuff, and he's got no help from the wind. He's doing it the really hard way, the really dumb way. Now, understand it's out of necessity, but can you imagine you're doing this for seven years, and this is the way that you have to get the grain. You have to put it in a wine press that probably smells like sour grapes. How many have ever smelled sour grapes? How many, that stench, have you worked around a, a, a winery? It smells horrible. I can imagine this wine press has got this residue from, from grapes, and he's down here, and he's like probably just saying some naughty words, right? I have kids, so naughty is a good word. You, naughty, yucky, and yummy, right? Those are the three big ones. Like you can categorize anything in yucky and yummy. Like, oh, that was yummy. That means it was good. Or that was yucky. That means it was not good. Like, that's basically everything you can categorize in those two words. Am I right, Luis? You got kid, little kids. That's how it is. Was that yummy or yucky? It was yummy. That means it was good. 
So here he is, and he's, and he's doing this over and over again. Now listen to what he says. He's down in this hole, and he's been doing this for a long time, and he's doing this because they need the, they need the grain, but this is the only way that he can winnow and thresh this grain. And he was truly between a rock and a hard place. I want you to, next slide, understand the significance of the moment. Understand the significance of the moment. This is why I have a hard time liking the story or giving Gideon props, especially when I look at, the, look at him and the story through the lens of generational legacy. See, so the angel of the Lord appears, which I believe is Jesus. This brother needs to just shut up. The angel of the Lord is visiting him in the middle of a mess. He's the lowest of lows. He, 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 he doesn't even have an Instagram page. And if he does, he's got three likes. He doesn't, he, he, nobody knows this brother. And if they do, they don't pay him no attention. Because he is the lowest of lows, right? And so he just, and, and the angel Lord comes. And I mean, come on, he had to know. He know this is an angelic visitation, which I believe is pre-incarnate Jesus in this case. And he shows up and listen to what he says. Instead of just, at that point, just keeping his mouth shut and saying, speak, Lord. That's all I need to say. What does he do? He gives the angel of the Lord these whiny excuses. And he complains. That's why it's hard for me to like this brother. He complains. He blames God for the circumstances. Judges chapter 6, verse 13. He says, sir, this is right. He says, Valiant warrior. <coughs> Next words, sir, Gideon replied. If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Whiny. Man, if I was angel of the Lord, I'd be like, Deuces, bro, peace. You can stay down in that hole. I just showed up to you. What are you talking about? And then he continues. He said, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Realize the Lord doesn't even address his mess. Uh, didn't even give a second thought to his whiny complaints and excuses. Right? He just ignored it and said, I'm here and I'm sending you. Go. Go in the strength I give you. I'm sending you. Gideon can't keep his mouth shut. Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I wouldn't even trust Gideon up against another dude by himself. This brother just complains. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Are you kidding me? But see, the reason why I have a hard time with him is because there's something about Gideon that I recognize in myself. 
There's something about this man that is whiny and complaining. And when God shows up on the scene, I'm telling God why he's wrong and where he's missed it. And blaming him for my, my current situation. This guy is unbelievable. He tells God why he is unqualified and goes on about it. He questions the angel of the Lord and his authenticity. He challenges the angel of the Lord to prove himself, and he does it over and over again. For the sake of time, we won't go into the scriptures following this, but he literally, this is where we get the, everybody heard of the Gideon's fleece, where he puts the fleece before the Lord, and then the Lord says, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humor you. First of all, he says, if you're really God, stay here. I'm going to go prepare a, 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 a sacrifice and bring it back to you. So I can just imagine the angel of the Lord Jesus standing there. Okay, I'll humor you. Go for it. And he waits there, and he goes, and he makes bread, and he prepares the lamb. I mean, I can't take it. Probably, uh, it's going to take a while. He brings it back, makes a bride. It was like he cooked a meal. He comes back, and the angel of the Lord's still there. And so he, 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 I mean, that would have proved it right there. And in fact, what he did after that would have proved it. But then he still didn't believe. He's like, well, if, he, if this is true, if this is really you're, what you're saying is true, and you really want me to do this, then, then uh, let me put this fleece before you, and, and, and here's the situation. I want you to do this. I want it to look like this the next morning. And then, and then he, so God does it. The next morning, it's exactly the fleece, and it's just like he asked. He said, no, 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 if you have this, just, just please don't be upset with me, but just I really, 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 really want you to prove it now. So do the opposite the next day. And so God does. This guy is unbelievable. He questions the angel of the Lord and his authenticity over and over again. And then he finally obeys the commands of the Lord. And if you read all into chapter uh, 6, 7, and 8, there's God shows up on the scene and delivers them out of the hand of the Midianites in an incredible way. And God does it. With just a handful, he literally says, let the 20,000 go that, that are here to help you and to over, overturn this oppression and, and get down to the 300. And that's a whole nother story that we know about the, where they, go, they get ready to drink. And there was 300 of them that the Lord said, if they drink, if they reach down and they scoop the water out into their hands and they drink from that, take those guys with you. And send everybody else home. And it turned out to be 300. Only 300. And with that 300, God did something amazing and delivered them against their enemies. Here's three takeaways from the life of Gideon. Number one, God is faithful. If you don't get anything out of this, and I'm reading this story and I just get mad. Because I, I, I see what happens after and, you know, for me, like, uh, like I, I try to understand, or understand like the big picture, like contextually, like what's going on, like what was happening before this story, and then what happens after this story. And the whole time, there's one thing that runs tr through the Bible, really the Bible, but especially in this in the Book of Judges, where you're reading this, where he delivers them over and over again, and it's that God is faithful. He's faithful to his word. See, when he says he's going to do something, when he promises you something, he will do it. He will do it. He will, he is not a man that he should lie. He is faithful to his word always. 
and even when we are not. Even when we are not. Number two. Gideon lacked personal history with God. One of the things that I, I realized is this brother, I, he believed in God and that was about it. He lacked personal history with God. He had nothing to draw from internally that said, in this moment of my life, in this instant of my life, God showed up. He, he hadn't, remember last week you talked about stirring, well, talk, we talked about stirring yourself up. He had no moment that he could draw from personally that, where he gird up his loins and he stirred himself up and he stirred the gift up that was within him. He had no relationship with God personally to draw from and to remind himself that God is faithful. And you know what? Even as a nation, God has promised us this. And, and he, he, yes, he, he's done what he said. He delivered us from the hand of Egypt and brought us here to the promised land. And there's a whole list, God's word, that I, uh, that I read about. And I know this is God's word, and he's faithful to it. And here's the thing. There's blessing and cursing, and, and he, he's given us this. And he said, do this, and it will bring life. And so I know that looking at as a nation, we've done the opposite of that, which means that we're cursed. And this is why this is happening. This is why the Midianites are getting victory over us because we were, you know, we're not walking in obedience as a nation. And I know this because of his word and his word is true. And so as a nation, if God raises me up as a leader, that's the first thing I will preach to my people is obey God. And because I'm obeying him in my life and I see the personal victories and God step through and be faithful in my life so that I can tell them, right? He has nothing like that in his life. All he knows is these stories, that have been told. All he knows is that it's supposed to be like this. But see, he has a small picture and he has a messed up view, right? And he's blaming God. You, you did this and you say they say you did this. But here's what's really happening. And it's all your fault. It's all your fault. When really they're walking in disobedience. They're walking in disobedience. He had no intimate relationship with God for his own self, which caused him to rely on what others said or told him. It caused him to perceive God as distant and not trust God. And not trust God. And as I look at Gideon's life, there's that thing that I recognize in him about my own heart. And in that period of time that was dark for me, that sounded, the, my word sounded a lot like Gideon. I see you working in somebody else's life. I see you bless them. Maybe you bless my family before me, but you're not doing it now in my life. I don't see it. And I blame him when really it's a condition of my heart. It's a condition of my heart walking in obedience to him it's a condition of knowing what his word says and then faithfully standing on it even when the circumstances say the opposite see if you be if you begin to believe in the circumstances bigger than you believe what god has promised you then guess what you're going to get i'll tell you in a minute number three recognize the curse 
might be generational. Recognize the curse might be generational. See, the life of misery that I experience might just be caused, might be caused by disobedience. Simple as that. I know this is a kind of a sobering word. I like it when you, when you preach that message, stir yourself up, Pastor Scott. But see, I, I, I would be missing it if I, didn't, if I didn't challenge you and your heart the way I challenge myself in this message. Recognize that the curse might be generational. See, in Galatians 6, verse 7, it says, God will not be mocked by my lack of understanding regarding his justice. See, God is a just God, and he's put some things in place, and we talk about it quite a bit. And it's the, power, it's the law and the principle of sowing and reaping. If I'm over here planting carrots, guess what's going to come up out the ground? And then I'm like, Lord, where's the peanuts? I thought, I, where's the, I need some peanuts, right? I, I got carrots. And God says, no, you don't understand. And I'm getting mad at him. He's like, you put carrot seed in the ground. And now you're complaining. First of all, you're complaining that you don't see anything immediately. Then when it does come up, you're complaining that it's carrots. Well, you put carrots in the ground. It's a principle. Whatever you want, whatever seed you put in the ground, that's what you're going to get. And in Galatians 6, 7, he says this. God says, I'm not, I'm not an idiot. I'm paraphrasing. He's like, your lack of understanding regarding my justice. You reap what you sow it means you harvest with the seed that you put in the ground recognize the curse might be generational now remember we talked about joash talked about the abeser clan joash gideon's father worshiped baal worship baal we know this if you read this i challenge you to go and read that the chapter 6 through 8 right there, you will see that Joash, Gideon's father, worshiped Baal because one of the first things that the Lord said to, to him and he, the commandment that he gave him from that point when he finally stopped putting God through proving that he was who he says he was, one of the first things he did, he said, I want you to go to the altar that your father has built to Baal. And he wants you to destroy it. And then right next to that altar is Asherah pole. Right? This false gods that you've been believing in. And I want you to cut it down. See, this is a big thing. Because if you go and read the story, he did it at night, in the dead at night, because he knew that it was going to be a big deal. And everyone, see, remember his dad was leading that clan, and everyone, all the, all the other leaders in the families woke up the next morning and they saw the Asherah cut down and the altar destroyed. And they said, who did this so that we can kill him? And they wanted to know who did it. And it was because Joash, uh, Gideon's father, stepped in and said, hey, it was my son Gideon, but here's the thing. Let's test Baal. Because if he's really God, let Baal judge what he did. And so they did. And, and, and so what, the point is this. God gave him something to do, and the first thing he did was tear down the idols. Tear down those things that, was, that were literally blocking God from moving in their life. 
understand and recognize the curse might be generational. The angel of the Lord dealt with this almost immediately when he said, go and destroy the altar and cut down the pole. You could build a case to me and say, Pastor Scott, you don't know my story. I trust God. I do this. I do that. I've been to church for 20 years, whatever the case may be. See, I don't really know your story. I don't really know or understand what's going on in your life. And you can build a case on why God may or may not show up in your life. I, I, I don't know. But I do know this. I know his word is true. I usually have my Bible. My Bible's right here. God's word is true. And he never, ever lies. He is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And I know this throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, there's one thing that blocks him from doing in your life what he's promised you. And it's nothing on his end. It's always on our end. There's something in your life. It could be generational or it could be an altar that you've built. It could be something that out of hurt and pain that caused you. And, and now this season has gone along and, and instead of blaming God, like there's a, a point where you realize that God's heart towards you has never changed. And that's the, that's the cool part of my story is that it took me 12 years to come to the place that God still thought the same about me as he thought of me when I was three or four years old. When he placed the call of God on my life and I'll never forget it. I talked myself out of it because of the circumstances that happened from hurt and pain that had been caused to me. And I blamed God for it. But as soon as I got back into his presence and I still really, I, I really started listening to what he was saying about me, he said, mighty warrior, valiant warrior, man of God, son of God, daughter of God. He never, his language had never changed. It was only how I heard him through what those blocks that I had put up in my life. Those things, those places that caused me to be disobedient and walk in disobedience. Listen, I could, you, you, could, you could build the case, and it sounds good, and you even get Christians in the church to, to surround you and make you feel good about why you're not walking in obedience, why, why these things are happening, and they'll might pray for you, and, 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 and maybe you're wondering, ah, I had people pray for me, and nothing happened. What's the altar? Has the altar been destroyed? Go back to when God first spoke to you. What his word says, are you walking in obedience to his word? It's simple. And that's when I look at Gideon, I'm like, man, that brother's just like me. In a hole, wondering why things are the way they are and blaming God. When God's voice is standing over me saying, Valiant warrior, what are you doing in that pit? You were made for more than this. You were made for something great. Get out of that pit. Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now that you're, oh, I know you're speaking to people's hearts, Lord. 
what are you saying to us right now? Each one of us, we, each one of us has our own story. Each one of us has our own path and journey that we've walked. And each one of us has no doubt been in a place where we felt like you didn't care, you didn't love us, and, you, and your heart towards us has changed. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you right now as you speak to each person's heart this morning, Lord, that they would hear the clutter would be just erased in our hearts and our minds. Well, we would see clearly and sense clearly that you have never, ever changed. And maybe, Lord, maybe that's, maybe that's just it. Maybe we believed in you and we've even given our heart to you, but we've never really understood the identity in which we walk. Maybe we've never understood your heart towards us. That we are your sons and daughters. And that Jesus, you died for us to make all that possible. So Lord, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, right now, do a work in our hearts. May we tear down the altars that we've built that have blocked our relationship with you. And may we chop down those false gods, chop down the pole, and just burn it up in our lives, Lord. So that we can see you face to face and hear you heart to heart. In Jesus' name. I want you to keep your eyes closed for a second. If you're here this morning and you, you can say, Pastor, I've never given my heart to God. I, sounds kind of cool. Sounds like I, I want to be a believer in him. I, I'm here this morning and I just want to understand what God has for me and what he's saying to me, but I've, I've never committed my, my life to serve him. Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, uh, yeah, I gave my heart to Christ years ago or months ago, and, but some things have come between my relationship with God, and, and I didn't realize it until this morning that there's some altars that I need to tear down and there's some, there's some things that I need to discuss with God about obedience and his word. And, and Lord, and, and Pastor, maybe the Lord is showing me some things generationally where there were some doors of, that were opened of disobedience from, from my family and the, those ones that were supposed to cover me spiritually and they passed on this, this spiritual bondage to me. And I blamed you for it, Lord. Maybe, Pastor, I just, I'm beginning to see that maybe there's something more going on here. And I need to tear down those, those things that have generationally cursed me. Maybe you're one of those two people this morning. I'm just going to ask it with every eye closed in here. I just want you to raise your hand this morning if you want to give your heart to Christ or if you want to just rededicate yourself back to Jesus this morning. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray right now. We're going to play as a family and just repeat after me. We, we like to do things as family around here, so just everybody repeat after me. Jesus, I believe who you are, who you say you are. You are the Son of God and you loved us so much that you came down to earth and became man and you gave your life for me 
But you didn't stay dead, Lord. You resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now you sit at the right hand of the Father. And I believe in you this morning. I give my life to you this morning. I commit to walk with you and believe and trust you all the rest of my days. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.